You're listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. We pray that as you hear this word, you would be encouraged and inspired as you pursue Jesus in your everyday life. I love our team here. I love our church family. I love you guys. Uh, you know, if you're just joining us for the first time, welcome. We really are crazy about Jesus here at Life Tree, and uh, and happy to dance like fools, like my wife just said, and shout and sing. And honestly, it feels so strange to be bringing the message that I am about to bring, following that. But I feel like there's something on it, like. God wants to have us understand the whole spectrum of human emotion in his presence. And so today, um, you know, I just know as we come into this time this morning, that there's lots of you out there. You've been feeling worn down and weary and tired and many call, you know, what they're going through in this time, this COVID fatigue and there is this this difficult place that many find themselves in. And I know for some of you, you're like, I actually don't relate with that. You know, I'm good. But, um, but many do. And, and whether you relate with those feelings or not, the message today is for you. Because I feel like the message today is for anybody who's human, <laughs> who experiences human emotion. It's just that simple. You qualify for this applying to your life if you are human with emotions. And, uh, and so, yeah, we're going to go into this. But, yeah, you know, this season, it's got all these ups and downs and uh, stops and starts and highs and lows and, you know, make a plan, change a plan, cancel plans, just forget planning altogether, like all of that sort of stuff going on. And it gets exhausting. Uh, I know for many of you, that's how you feel. And all this week, I have felt like reminded of this story, this experience I had just a couple years ago. And the context is, I was doing a roof contract on a private island. And we had to ride a boat to and from this island every day. And honestly, it was like one of the most glorious, wonderful commutes to work I've ever had in my life. And we were on this job for months and there were three of these aluminum fishing boats, if you're familiar with them. They're, they're called a Raider. That's the brand. They're about 20 feet long. So they're not huge. And we would ride these boats to and from the island every day. And sometimes these glorious, sunny, calm seas and all of that. Uh, but I remember there were times when we would be uh, on the water and the waters were pretty rough. And I tend to be a guy who's comfortable with danger. I like throwing myself off 75-foot cliffs for fun and into extreme sports my whole like teenage years and even till this day, and that's just me. So I have like this ability to really easily just kind of put fear down here and dissociate from it and, and do whatever I want to do. And even me, there were times where it was like, I was not very comfortable out on this boat in the waves. And there's one story in particular. This was December 17th, 2018. And we're coming home from the job that day. And these waves are like, I don't know how high they were. They were big enough that when you were down in the, in the low point, you couldn't see over the next one. And when we would come up over them, there were times where our front end of the boat was completely submerged in water and I remember just like honestly thinking to myself, 
will I make it home? Will I see my family again? And those were, these were the honest thoughts going through my mind. And I stand here before you, obviously made it home, obviously saw my family again. Uh, but that very night, the most experienced boat driver of the whole group who would take us back and forth was this man who actually lived on the island where we were working. And on his way back to the island that night, he actually capsized his boat. He ended up um, with the back end of his boat flooding, capsized, and sitting on top of his upside-down boat's hull and getting rescued by the ferry. The ferry that goes between Victoria and Vancouver saw him and changed course and dropped a lifeboat and rescued him. And the thing that's been sticking out to me in this, uh, remembering this story, is you can be in the same storm but a different boat, and it makes all the difference. I doubt anybody on that ferry that night was thinking to themselves, I wonder if we're going to make it. Will I see my family again? And, and yet, the same storm in this smaller boat, uh, it was a completely different experience. And I think it speaks to that we can be in storms of life, and really, the, the vision we have of God, how robust it is, how large it is, how much faith and hope we have in it, will deeply impact the way we go through the storms of life. And so my hope today is that we would, we would come away with this understanding of how to navigate the storms of our emotions, the storms of our circumstances, with a robust vision of Jesus. And one of the best places I feel like we learn this as Jesus followers is reading through the Psalms. And so we're actually going to dive into a Psalm today, and we're going to see how the writer of this Psalm navigates his emotions. But what I want to say before we even read it is that the Psalms give us this, this different way of experiencing emotion. Sometimes in more conservative or traditional, you might even say in religious circles, there's this tendency to, to be like, well, we just stuff our emotions and we plow forward and we're going we're gonna to sing anyway and, you know, all that stuff. And there's, there's a place for that. But maybe in a more like modern, progressive context, we have this high value for expressing and experiencing our emotions. As though just the experience of them in itself is a good end. And I would say that Scripture offers us a third way, and I would put it this way. Psalms, particularly, they teach us to pray our emotions, to actually experience our emotions in the presence of God and, and make our way through them, especially, particularly, if they're, they're darker emotions and go through them into hope into joy, into peace, and all that. But, but it comes as we pray our emotions. So we're going to read Psalm 42. Telsey's going to come on back up and read it for us. And uh, I would encourage you today, if you can, if you've got a Bible with you, or you can open it on your phone or whatever, open up to Psalm 42, and just hang out there. Keep, keep it open this morning, because I'm going to reference to it at times, and maybe you're just going to sit and meditate on it, but Telsey's going to lead us through Psalm 42. So just open your ears. This is God's word. This is, this is gold. Take it away, man. Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. 
while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Thanks, babe. What I want us to see as we look at that psalm, first thing I just want to point out is I love how deep and raw the author is. There's no, there's no hiding where he's at, how he's feeling. There is this uh, despair and depression that he's feeling. There is this distance from the presence of God that he is describing. And the psalm, to me, has this feel of being almost like a roller coaster. I mean, it starts down, and then he goes up, and then he's back down again. He's back up, he's down, he's up. And, and there's just this cycle in and out of that space. Uh, and, and it's, like, really descriptive. He's like, I thirst for God like a deer pants for water. Like a deer pants for water only when there is a drought and it cannot actually find a stream anywhere. A deer's not going to put itself through that on purpose. And there's this, this sense that he just doesn't know where to find God or how, but there's this thirst in him. And he says his tears are food night and day. And he's living in this place of people mocking him, saying, where is your God? In other words, there must be some circumstance in his life that would cause people around to go, how can you believe that there is a God? Where is he? Show him to me. He's in difficult circumstance. And he's feeling distance from the presence of God. He starts to reminisce back when he used to go to the temple and corporate worship. And I know lots of us in this time relate with that. We want to be here in this space and, and singing with our family, with our church family and the people of God. We want to be together in that way. And it's very much what this guy is experiencing, what he describes in, I believe it's verse 4. And from that place where he starts to remember when he used to go to the temple, he, he says, Saul, why are you so um, downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my God, my Savior, my God. And there's this moment where he starts to just stir up in him, I'm going to worship. I'm pulling out of this, I'm going to worship. And then from there, he goes right back into feeling down. The thing I love, though, is he actually says it to God right after he says, soul, why are you downcast? Disturbed within me, he says to God, God, my soul is downcast. He brings it to him. 
And he goes on and he describes these feelings of like drowning under a waterfall or in stormy waters. On, oh. And he goes on and he confesses that he knows that God loves him. And there's this song that comes to him in the night. And he confesses that God is his rock. But right from there, he says to God, my rock, have you forgotten me? Losing Mike, we're back. Again, he's in this place of like feeling distant from God. Hopefully that's better. And he goes down again. And he even describes these, these physical feelings in his body. You know, where, where is it? He says this. My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me. And there's just this, this deep, dark, depressed place of despair that we're hearing in him. And then again, he ends it all off with the same statement he had made in the middle. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my God and my Savior. And as we go through this this roller coaster of a psalm with this guy, I want us to make a few observations of how he fights this battle against depression and despair and seeks to hold on to hope. The first thing I want to point out is is right near the middle of the psalm, in verse 7, where he talks about the feelings of drowning. He recognizes the sovereignty of God, is the way I would put it. Because what does he say? He says, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. And there is this recognition of him that in this moment of feeling like he's drowning under the pressures of his life, that he still believes that God is Lord over his circumstances. Your waterfall, your waves and breakers have swept over me. And there's something powerful about this recognition that there's a sovereign God ruling over the circumstances of our life that ends up being a firm foundation and an anchor of hope. Many people find this biblical vision of God's sovereignty as as very confusing. Some would find it mind-bending. Others even find it offensive to think that there's supposedly a God who's sovereignly ruling over all of the craziness that happens in the world. You know, you hear people commonly say, if God is really in control and good, then why all of this mess in the world? Why the pain? Why the evil? Why the suffering? And I know for me, one of the things I've learned is I've learned to find great, great comfort in this message of God's sovereignty. I want to share with you a quote. It's from a lady named Evelyn Underhill, and she was an author who wrote in the first half of the 20th century really on like Christian mysticism. And she says this, if God were small enough to understand, he would not be big enough to be worshipped. And there, there's this thing that, that if we think we can put our understanding and our theology of God into this perfectly tight fit box, he's too small. He's too small. The God that we worship is beyond our comprehension. 
we get glimpses, otherwise we'd have nothing to worship about. But he's so much bigger than our ability to understand. And I know for me, this sovereignty of God has been a rock in my life. Like, honestly, even in that story I told at the beginning of wondering, am I going to make it home on this boat ride tonight? I just remember leaning in to, like, God's in control. He'll bring good out of anything. But one that's really etched in my mind is when our son, who's sitting in the back here, uh, went through a really difficult time. It was actually during this project I mentioned that he ended up having to have brain surgery. Not planned. This was not a, a plan we had for our lives. And I remember the couple hours that he was in the operating room. And it was just like worshiping in the waiting room. Not, not like singing out loud for everybody to hear, but just this rehearsing in my heart and in my mind that God is good. God is sovereign. God will bring good out of anything. Like even if the worst happens, God's going to bring good. And it was just this, this hope in the goodness of God. Many of you probably heard me talk this before because I come back to it again and again. It's just this moment in my life where, where that trust in God's goodness and his power and his sovereignty was worked deep into my heart. And we'll talk more in a bit about how that gets built into our heart. But the next ob observation I want to make that we see this guy doing is he expresses his negative emotion and he tells himself to worship. I want to, you know, you could break this into two observations, but it's, it's one for me where there is this action that he goes through again and again that we read and I already pointed out of him expressing the difficulty that he's feeling before God, but then also choosing to enter into this place of worship. In other words, he doesn't just wallow in his depression and despair, but he doesn't just stuff his feelings and pretend to feel fine and just start singing. There's this process that he goes through. He brings his whole self into the presence of God. He brings his depression, despair, along with his hope into God's presence. And I think there's a practice of actually getting in touch with that, that pain or that despair that we feel that's so healthy for us connecting with God. You know, God already knows what we're thinking about and what we're feeling. He's not afraid of it. But there's something powerful that happens when we start to express it to Him. There's this intimate connection that happens when we get raw before Him. I know that in our marriage with Telsey and I, she's often asked me, like, share with me what you're feeling. Tell me what you're thinking about. I can be very internal processor and just work these things out to myself. I can very easily dissociate from my emotions and just step back and analyze them more than feel them. And I think my way through them. And, and yet there's this call from my wife to share it with her because she wants to know me. And I think there's a similar invitation from the Lord for us to come in and be real and raw before Him that actually establishes a deep connection. You could say it this way, like being authentic about where we're at actually is the context for authentic connection and authentic worship. Honestly, there's times where, where my prayers are way more about processing what I'm feeling than, than praying for something great and big to happen. 
We're getting all authoritative. There's place for that. And that's exactly what this guy does when he starts to command his soul. But honestly, there's times, it's just a little, maybe you call a practical tip for you, where it might be helpful to add some cussing to your prayer. <laughs> it's like you just let it, let it go. I'm not joking. This is not a joke. There, there's just, God's not afraid of it. God's not, God's not bothered by what you're feeling. And if you've got to go there to put words to how you're feeling, do you really think the God of the universe is like afraid of it and, and drawing back? There's, I think, something in that space that, that he draws near to. And maybe you don't talk like that, and it's not like you need to do that to, to really connect with God. But what I'm trying to say to you is don't think that your prayer life and your worship just has to be this pretty nice packaged thing. It doesn't have to be clean cut. Make it real. Make it authentic. And come before him with all of who you are. Find those words that help you express how you're feeling. But then don't just stay there and vent it and stew in it. Actually pour out your soul to him. That's what I would call the the message today. Pour out your soul. And from that place, step two, choose worship. It's the title of Charlotte's message to us a few weeks ago. Choose worship. Choose worship and hope. So read that thing, the statement he makes twice. I'm going to read it again. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. You guys, we actually have great power over what we think and what we feel. There is this authority and this power that we have as people made in the image of God. That through what we speak out, what we sing, what we fix our mind on, we actually have control over how we're going to feel, how we're going to experience this life. I really think there's probably no other creature on earth that has this power that we have to take control of what's going on up in here and take control over how we're feeling. And so use it. He speaks to himself. I love this quote. This is Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was a well-known preacher through the 20th century. And here's what he says. He says, Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. Letting that self-talk and inner world like run your life and run your heart. There's something about taking that thing by the reins and speak to yourself. Learn to preach the gospel to yourself. I preach the gospel to myself regularly. It's how I make my way through the emotional turmoil of this life. And we'll learn a bit more about how to go into that In the next observation, so I'll just summarize and say that there's power in us bringing our negative emotion and our worship to God. It's almost as though there's this place of processing negative emotion as worship unto God. Because it says, God, I trust you. God, I, I trust you to be a safe place. I trust you to understand where I'm coming from. 
And that is a a worship expression in itself. The last observation, though, I want to make from this psalm is right from the very beginning. And this writer, he recognizes that his thirst is ultimately for God himself. His thirst and his longing isn't just for his circumstances to change. His thirst is for God. Let's read it again. Starting verse 1 and verse 2. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? There's this longing in him that he recognizes above any other thing, he's longing for God. And today we have a better answer than this guy ever would have had to that question. See, because when he asks that question, where can I meet with God, his heart and his mind starts to go back to Jerusalem and the temple worship, and he's like, oh, I wish I could be back there again. Because that's where he believed he could meet with God. But today we ask this question, where can I meet with God? The answer is in Jesus. Jesus himself and many of the writers of the New Testament said that if you'd seen Jesus, you'd seen the Father. That Jesus was the image of the previously invisible God. That although we couldn't see God and know Him and understand Him really that well before, in Jesus we get this clear expression of who God is and what He's like. And at the center of our hope and our faith to know God is the man Jesus. We look at him and we know God. And I'm reminded as we hear this guy's words saying, as a deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you. He's thirsting for God. It reminds me of this story in John 4 where Jesus meets this woman at a well. And maybe you're familiar with the story, maybe you're not, but the story goes that Jesus is sitting there at the well with this woman who doesn't realize who he is. And he had asked her to give her some water. And we're going to pick up, I'm going to actually read a couple verses from it. John 4, verse 10. And Jesus says this to her in verse 10. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And then after some conversation between them, down into verse 14, he says, But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And in Jesus, there is this encounter with this living water that when we drink of it, when we, when we drink of Jesus, when we encounter God through Jesus, a fountain gets placed in our hearts and in our lives that won't run dry. It's like Jesus is this fountain of hope, this fountain of peace, this fountain of joy. That when we drink from Him, He will continually quench our thirst and never run dry. And that story, if you're familiar with it, is that this woman had been seeking to quench her thirst in relationship after relationship with man after man after man. And and she said to Jesus like, well, show me where to get this water so I don't have to keep coming back to this well. And right after that, Jesus answers saying to her, like, well, go get your husband. 
And that's where this whole idea that she's got multiple men that she's been with in her life starts coming up. I believe Jesus was really intentionally trying to help her realize that she had been seeking to draw from another well to quench the thirst of her soul. And he says, if you only knew who I am. And I think the message goes out the same to all of us today. If we only knew who's before us when we look at Jesus, we could receive this water and this fountain in us that won't run dry. why I think it's so, so, so important to be well acquainted with Jesus, well acquainted with the gospel. That's why we're doing this gospel 101 class that you've maybe seen slides for or Telsey mentioned this morning. We're just going to do five weeks of getting together on Zoom on Tuesdays and dig into what does the gospel actually say? What does it actually teach us about Jesus and about God himself? There is power in getting yourself equipped with gospel ammunition, if you will. Gospel resources, a gospel fountain in your heart. And you get it by by sitting in it, lingering in it, hanging with Jesus, looking into his life, looking into the gospel itself. You know, I think back to last week, Stacy talked to us about setting goals and being very purposeful in our plans of what we're going to do with our life. And it was awesome to listen to descriptions from him of what that looks like in his own life. And I would say to you, get a plan in place. To get yourself acquainted with Jesus, immersed in and saturated in the good news so that when you find yourself in those places of despair and depression or anxiety or whatever else might be coming at you, or even not just at you, it feels like within, you've got this resource of the good news to rehearse and preach to yourself. It will reinforce you and strengthen you to weather the storms. To get in that boat that's big enough to handle the waves. It doesn't mean you don't feel them. But you get through. Simple application for today's message. Get to know Jesus. Get to know Jesus. Reminded of this story I read in a book. I had heard people reference this book and recommend it for years, and I just finally read it recently, and it's called Blue Like Jazz by Donald Miller. And the end of the book, he shares this story. I want to read it to you. Um, and he, he references a guy named Bill Bright. And if you don't know who Bill Bright is, Bill Bright was a man who founded Campus Crusades, which is a ministry really successful at bringing the gospel onto college and university campuses and, and reaching people. Very missional, successful, powerful ministry. And here's the story. He writes, A guy I know named Alan went around the country asking ministry leaders questions He went to successful churches and asked the pastors what they were doing, why what they were doing was working. It sounded very boring, except for one visit he made to a man named Bill Bright, the president of a big ministry. Alan said he was a big man, full of life, 
who listened without shifting his eyes. Alan asked a few questions. I don't know what they were, but a final question he asked Dr. Bright was what Jesus meant to him. Alan said Dr. Bright could not answer the question. He said Dr. Bright just started to cry. He sat there in his big chair behind his big desk and wept. When Alan told that story, I wondered what it was like to love Jesus that way. I wondered quite honestly if that Bill Bright guy was just nuts or if he really knew Jesus in a personal way so well that he would cry at the very mention of his name. I knew then that I would like to know Jesus like that, with my heart, not just my head. I felt like that would be the key to something. You can know Jesus like that. I get like best way to describe it when I read that story is this feeling of like just, it's like oil on my body. I just feel warmed in my heart like, oh, to know Jesus like that, to love him like that. You can know Jesus like that. You know, I remember times in my own life where I can relate to what the psalmist wrote where he says, I feel agony in my mortal body. I've had nights where I can't sleep and I'm literally aching in my bones because of stress and anxiety. And where I start to read the Psalms, and I remember one in particular, I started reading Psalm 23 to Psalm 27, and as I read it, I just began to weep and this stress and the pain was lifted off of my body as I encountered Jesus in the Word. And I'll just say to you, you can know Jesus in this way, but it's so vital to know him in his death and his resurrection because it's at that moment and that place in his story on the cross where despair and hope meet. Jesus hung on the cross saying things like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus prayed prayers of despair in the garden before he was arrested. And yet at the same time, there he was on the cross. And at the end of it, before he dies, he declares, it is finished. There was this knowing in Jesus that through the pain, through the despair, through the suffering he was experiencing, something was being accomplished. And we find in Jesus at the cross the place where our pain and our healing collide. Jesus so connects with us and relates with us and identifies with us in that place. He's not a God who's far off and doesn't understand what we go through. He is a God who is with us. So much so that he takes on humanity and suffers great pain and dies a death, a horrible death. And as we know, carries on to, to rise from the dead in victory. And it's these these truths, this story that for me is again and again and again the place I find hope. It's never, it's, I'm not joking, I'm not making it up when I say, oh, well, I look to the gospel, I look to the cross of Jesus to find my way through. So what I'd want to say to you is don't be afraid to come to Jesus with your pain, with your depression, with your despair, with whatever it is you're feeling, with whatever darkness maybe is there. Because that authentic expression 
is the place where authentic encounter with God happens. I just felt to, to, as we close, I wanted to share with you, it's a little like vulnerable moment, uh, to share a poem that I wrote. But this poem is like, going to give some look, some glimpse into what I'm talking about today and how it works for me. And I find for me that process of writing, whether it's just journaling or poetry, helps me actually find the words to, to connect with how I'm feeling and, and to move through into encounter with the Lord. And so hopefully this helps as an example. Here we go. A soul unsettled, storm on the sea, wind and waves batter, waste away me. Longing for light, darkness lurks in, searching for joy, empty within. There must be good hope to hold on to. Familiar with longing, acquainted in pain, suffering as nearness on Calvary he hangs. Love never conquered, beauty unchained. Empty tomb echoes, shouting, hope reigns. I just like, I wrote these words just this week. And it was like, you just come to this place again and again where it's like, Jesus reigns. Right in his suffering, he's there with me. And he doesn't stay in it. The tomb is empty. He raises, and in that empty tomb, there is a proclamation to the universe that hope reigns, that love conquers, that Jesus is on the throne of the universe. And I come back to that again and again, and I rehearse that, and I preach that to myself. And I just encourage you, immerse yourself in the story of Jesus. If you think this stuff sounds crazy, I just encourage you, Hang out in and with Jesus. Read the Gospels. Come to Gospel 101. Direct message us. Whatever you got to do. Get to know Jesus. Because in Him is this hope that can't be taken. That even in our darkest moments, it's not taken. We're not robbed of it. So come to Jesus. Keep it real. It doesn't have to be clean. Get immersed in who he is. And take time. Take time to put words to how you're feeling. Whether that's raw, just from your heart out loud, whether it's writing, whatever it looks like. But process your pain, your emotions in his presence. And lay hold of hope, lay hold of joy. Because it's there. It's there for you. However you're feeling this week, however you've been feeling today. That joy, that dancing, that crazy just exuberance that we're expressing in music, that is real. And it's for you. There's freedom for you in Jesus. Whether you've encountered it before or whether you've been walking with him for years. It's always in Jesus. It's always in the finished work of the cross where we find it. So I want to pray for you, and we're going to close. Father, we thank you for the perfect representation of your heart and who you are to us in Jesus. 
We ask that by your spirit today that that would be lit up and made clear to everyone listening, to everyone who's been watching. And that they would come through the darkness into light, that they would come through the despair into hope, into joy, into peace. And that they would know the freedom of being real in your presence. They would know your love for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. At Life Tree, we are a family all about declaring and displaying Jesus to transform lives and benefit our city. If you'd like to find out more about Life Tree, you can find us online at lifetree.ca.